0: Women in Leadership brought to you by Herring Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit herringcode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Co. studio we are joined by Shireen Talfik. Shireen is the co-founder and CEO of Belinka. Shireen is not only the first Saudi woman to hold an NBA from Wharton in 2012 but she's also one of the first Saudi women to work in banking in Saudi Arabia. Shireen's passion is to empower entrepreneurs, managers and professionals through financial education.
1: For me comfort zone is the beginning of the end. If I am ever comfortable and I'm not growing, then I know that this is the beginning of my demise. At that time also, I discovered that I was earning literally 50% of what my male peers were earning. I had the chance to work with my dad for four years, running his business, soaking up all of his knowledge about money and about finance and about investments and all of these things that if I was away from him, I wouldn't have had that chance. First generation builds it, second generation enjoys it, and third generation destroys it. Your wealth is the average, of the five people that you surround yourself with and i live by that
0: women in leadership brought to you by heron code Shireen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: I am so excited to have you and and to be in this conversation with you. I imagine you're a very busy woman as well, so to have you in front of me and to have this time with you, I'm honoured. Um, you know, every episode has been so different so far in this series, and we are hoping to inspire the next generation of women and men. And I think what's so important is, you know, for you to really get across who you are and your journey so far. I think it's amazing where you are right now, but to To highlight how you really got here. Mm. So a loaded question to start off the episode. Who is Shireen Taufik? Who are you and what is your role and what are the many hats that you
1: wear? So you know there's a saying that you can only connect the dots backwards. If I had a chance to go back to 20 years ago I would have met someone who's completely lost, doesn't know what she wants to do in life, but now it all makes sense. It's hard for me to tell you who I am, but it's like I'm I'm someone who pushed the envelope and continue to push the envelope, and I try to just inspire men and women, hopefully, to achieve their dreams. It's a, a difficult question to answer, but I'm more than happy to tell you how I connected the dots and how I, I, I view the formula of success.
0: Yes, and, and absolutely. And I, and I think even me just listening to that, I'm like, I feel that as well. I relate so much to that, you know, feeling lost. We've all been there. Yeah. Who am I? Where am I going? This pressure from society, family, culture, whatever it may be mm-hmm. to follow a right path. So let's go back to that, if you don't mind. Yeah. The, the Shireen that was lost, what was she doing? How old was she? Where did it all begin?
1: So, throughout my upbringing, I was always drawn to books. So, I always, like, I would save some money, like equivalent to five dirhams every week, and I would go to the bookstore and I buy a book. And when I wanted to go to university, I had this dream that I wanted to go to a university like in the US or I wanted to go to a top university in the world, somewhere in the world. So, I went to my dad and I said, I am top of my class. I want to go to university abroad. And he just looked at me. He's like, no, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't happen. We don't have that in the family. Yet. An unmarried woman will not go at such a young age. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go on a hunger strike. So I went on a hunger strike and he didn't budge. <laughs> it didn't work. And it's like, I was looking at my mom and she's like, "Ah." Eh. You know, you'll break at some point. Six days later, I broke. Yeah, <laughs> and I went to uh, to the university. There was only one option in Jeddah where I was uh, raised. And I remember, I, now I look back. I am so grateful for going into that university because... I had the chance to work with my dad for four years, uh, running his business and getting soaking up all of his knowledge about money and about finance and about investments and all of these things that if I was away from him, I wouldn't have had that chance. Mm. So yeah, I'm very grateful, to be honest. That's
0: beautiful because your dad is really where your love for finance began. Is yes. that right?
1: Yes. So I have a story about that. When I was 12, my dad wanted to teach all of us, me and my sisters, we don't have any brothers. So for him... He was so forward thinking that he wanted to make sure that we have financial independence. And financial independence doesn't mean that he leaves us with lots of money because people can actually spend it all. He wanted to embed in us something that no one can take away from us, and that is knowledge. And that is knowing how to handle money and not just handle money to grow your wealth. He always had that saying, first generation builds it, second generation enjoys it, and third generation destroys it. So I, when I was 12, he gave me an allowance of uh, of about a thousand, it was a thousand reals at that time. So a thousand reals in the eighties for a 12 year old will make you live like a queen, right? Mm-hmm. He had rules. So he's like, I'm giving you a very handsome allowance, but here is a blue book. He gave me a small blue book that I have until now. I had to write everything that I spent and I had everything that I save, everything that I had to write everything in that blue book. I also had to save. It didn't matter to him how much you save, but you have to save because it's a habit that you have to do every day. And then the third one, do not come to me for anything. I'm giving you a very handsome allowance. Do not come back to me wanting anything. So he also taught us how to be responsible. And I remember once I saved up and I bought a golden ring, which I still have, and uh, and I put it as an expense. And he's like, no, 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 this is not an expense. It's an investment. And I was like, what? What's an investment? And he said, if you buy something that grows in value, it's an investment. If you buy something that de- decreases in value, it's a, a, a expense I was like wow you can grow your money he's like yes let me teach you how and that was the birth of my passion for investments money uh just seeing my dad's journey and hopefully me also like continuing that journey for me and my kids and you know, hopefully I teach people
0: on that. Absolutely. And how, how blessed you were to have a, a role model like that in your life to teach you these things, because I often am conflicted with this. I think that the education system, no matter where you are in the world, is not built to teach us these things, mm. to become financially literate. Mm. You know, that really does stem from home. And that is so amazing that your dad was so forward thinking like that. This whole thing with education, where do you think we stand with that now? Do you think it's evolved since then?
1: It definitely had evolved because people feel that finance is not only for the lucky few who understand finance, finance is for everybody. I actually read an article today in Arab News that Saudi is, um, from next year, is going to start embedding financial awareness in schools, and that is phenomenal. But I also agree with you that financial awareness and financial literacy starts from home, There are simple things that parents can do, but also the logic and the financial logic has to also be embedded in schools. Like this is something that we teach. I'm not going to teach you to save this much and invest this much. I mean, you can do that on your own. But if I teach you how companies operate and how you can assess risk, And there are certain invaluable information that once you learn, you can never unlearn. And then you can base your decisions on facts and figures rather than gut feeling because some people... Base, they say I'm basing my decision on a gut feeling but sometimes the gut feeling is actually wrong because the gut feeling is stemmed from a mistake that they made uh, like uh, for example let's say you invested all of your money in the stock market that was going really well in Saudi in the beginning in the early 2000s. let's say you invested all of your money in 2005 and your money kept growing and you were like so happy and then you sold your house and you put the money in the in the stock market and in 2006 February the market crashes really really badly you will never touch the stock market again you will lose trust in the stock market because of that and then you will say oh my gut feeling is uh, is telling me not to understand first of all your gut feeling and then embed that with education and then base your decision on that
0: so there's so many layers to it right it's, it's building it, yeah. it's kind of growing uh, to that final point and What's interesting is, at such a young age you you had this love for learning, oh
1: yeah,
0: because a lot of a lot of kids don't you know if if your parent was to come up to you and and say what your dad said to you, you know a lot of people would just go over their head, but clearly it was a personality trait of yours as well
1: yeah i was I was a nerd I love it, <laughs> I love reading and i love i like I am very curious. And I think it's one of the traits that got me to where I am right now is being curious and not having a high ego that was going to obstruct me from asking questions and and learning. I would love for my kids to be curious and, Mm. and love to learn.
0: Yes, it's such an important trait to be a leader in general. I think absolutely. Now, you wanted to move abroad. You wanted to, you know, go and study elsewhere. You said that actually you were so happy that you stayed in Saudi and mm. uh, and did your education there. Why is that?
1: So I definitely got the um, I got the experience from my dad, and so I studied English literature because I didn't speak English. I went to Arabic schools, so my English was broken English. Yeah, and wow. then. Some innate desire in me told me that I need to learn English, but I need I needed to be immersed in English. So that's why I wanted to go abroad to in an English-speaking country so I can learn English. So I went. I studied English literature, and when I graduated, all my my friends at that time were like, um, yeah, they were. They were checking if they got married They were like, you know, they're going to be get married. It was like marriage was the goal. For me, again, that same voice was telling me that I want to work and I want to work in a challenging job and I want to, I want to make a change. But I did, I had no idea what I was going to do. And then I started applying for jobs. It was an experience on its own. But then there was one position as a paralegal in the bank where I ended up working for, for a whole decade. And of course, I said, of course, I'll take it. So I went. And then after a couple of months, I was thinking, I want something more challenging. I want something hard. I thrive on challenges. So then I was looking around and there was an opening in corporate banking. And I went and I applied and I got rejected because they do not have women who are client facing at that time. And I'm talking about 22 years ago. Right. So Saudi 22 years ago was not the same as Saudi today. And this is why I'm so proud of all the changes that happened in the last, especially the last decade. So I applied, got rejected, and then I applied again. And they said, oh, because you don't have um, academic financial background. So I'm like, okay, give me the books. At that time, no internet, yeah. Mm. So they gave me three books. And, you know, I just, I went back to what I know, Mm -hmm. studying. Mm -hmm. I came back and um, I must say, like uh, the manager at that time, he said, uh, okay, so you proved that you're good. I just want to adjust your expectation because... If we hire you, you will always be an analyst and you need to adjust your expectation that your peers one day will be your managers. And at that time, I thought that was such a harsh thing to say. But actually looking back at it, he was so kind because he wanted to adjust my expectation, not knowing that things will change. Mm -hmm. And the same person a few years later was the one who gave me not just one, not two, three promotions and a salary adjustment. And I couldn't have asked for a better decade of my career to be spent in that bank doing what I did, analyzing companies and learning about finance, the proper like academic way, how to do financial analysis and all of these things, because that was the base for my whole career. But what's so interesting in that and what's so
0: beautiful is... You said you trusted your inner voice. Yeah. You know, uh, us as women, us as humans in general, we do have this gut instinct, which we spoke about earlier. But then, at the same time, you had family and friends that were focused on getting married and, you know, following that personal life. And I imagine that was quite a bloodline for you. How did you? How did you stay focused? How did you stay true to that inner
1: voice? Mm, wow. As I told you, you know, there were like so many points that I couldn't make sense of at that time. But also, I was lucky enough that I had that very strong feeling. And also, I'm driven by challenges. So whatever, if there's something hard, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to, I'm going to go on it, because it's just, it's so addictive, Mm. you know, like, I feel, I feel um, alive, and I feel young, because one thing that I know, and I would love for everybody to recognize is that The comfort zone is actually, for me, comfort zone is the beginning of the end. If I am ever comfortable and I'm not growing, then I know that this is the beginning of my demise. And demise is not just physical, can also be spiritual or like, you know, mental, emotional. And I know for a fact that during those 10 years in my journey, I was always trying to be pushing and, and trying to learn something new, etc. And the reason why I left was because I felt I'm not learning anymore and I'm not growing. I've been very lucky that I have that voice very clear in my head. And I also trust it. And I I didn't know what I wanted to do. If If you had met me When I went to university and you told me that you're going to be one of the first women to work in banking in a mixed environment, I would laugh. (laughs) That would not cross my mind. But I knew that there is something big for me and that I'm going to inspire other women. And I hope that I inspire not just women, but also men. And because I have been experiencing being excluded in certain situations because of my gender. And I don't want that to happen to men or women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, we should always have equality.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And, and talking about those moments, you know, I, I have a standout moment that I could tell you right now about in my career where I did feel excluded because of my gender. And I completely agree with you on, you know, we we are completely equal now, but there have been tough times in the past for us as women, especially in the sector you were in, such a male dominated sector. Yeah. Is there a standout moment in your career or during that period of exclusion that you felt and how you overcame it?
1: So I, I always go back to, I was an analyst and it was around the time where analysts were being groomed to becoming officers um, and handling portfolio of companies. So you will be client facing, etc. And that voice of my manager telling me you need to adjust your expectation. I was always thinking, oh, this is so much in the, in the future. I, can't, I will handle it when it happened. But then as it kind of came close, it was excruciating, and uh, and the second thing is that at that time also I discovered that I was earning literally fifty percent of what my male peers were earning, and I remember that feeling and like uh, because I went to my manager and I said it's so unfair, and he said I know but it's the system. So I said yeah well who made the system? Someone made the system, and he's like yes, but it's the system. And I know it's unfair, and they were very empathetic. But uh, I started looking for jobs and uh, my managers were kind enough to change the system, not just for me, but for me and for other women and also to make it more attractive for that department to be more attractive for women as well. Mm. So for me to have that equal pay and equal consideration for promotion, and removing the gender bias. Uh, It takes two to tango. I could have fought and failed, but I fought and I won because I had support from my managers as well.
0: Mm. And that failure, that all of us have had failure in our career, you know, we've all dabbled in it. It, it, we all react differently to it. So many challenges. I mean, you said you're very much a personality who thrives on challenge. Yeah knowing that there's a challenge, you also know that there is a possibility of failure, right? And how do you deal with failure?
1: Oh, first, uh, get the tears out, (laughs) experience all the bad emotion, just get it out. It's like, just uh, get all the toxins of the bad emotions out. And then I would step aside and just try to understand and try to analyze. So analyze, why did I fail? Uh, Because without stopping, and reflecting on what you have gone through. These are valuable lessons uh, that you have. Like, you know, when, when you look at success, it is impossible to see success as a straight line. It's usually bumps. But when you zoom out, they are going in the one direction, in the upward direction. And that's what we always need to remind ourselves, like, we need to pause. It's a, like going in this hamster wheel, and not knowing what am I doing right, what am I doing wrong, is not good at all to us. We need to stop, reflect, and then go back. Mm. And and use that energy to go back with full force.
0: Mm. You were an absolute trailblazer. You still are. Oh. But for you to actually be the first Saudi woman to hold an MBA from, from Wharton, this was in 2012. I mean, if you're the first to do it, that means there was no... One two three step guidebook on how to do it before you. was there? was there a mentor that you had? was there an idol, a role
1: model that you yourself looked up to? Mm, hundreds, okay mm-hmm. but not not one person who gave you all the answers. And just like even now with entrepreneurship, there's not one mentor that will give you everything. So reflecting back, remember that uh, the connecting the dots. So around 2005, I started applying to universities. I looked at the FT; they had the top hundred universities. So I made a mark on the 50, and then I was looking at the second 50, and I was looking at all the universities. And I and I applied to a few, and I got rejected again and again and again until I kind of like reached to the hundreds, and I was like going outside the FT and I was like going applying to Mickey Mouse University then still I got rejected and then I kind of gave up and then a friend of mine was saying why don't you apply to the to a top university instead of like a Mickey Mouse one and I said if the Mickey Mouse one doesn't accept me do you think a top university would accept me and he's Mm -hmm. like why not just maybe you didn't do it right so this is when I had to strategize uh first of all I chose Wharton not because there were no other Saudi women who went there I chose Wharton for so many other reasons. I met so many people from who graduated from Wharton and I said, I want to be them. I wanted to be as inspiring and humble at the same time. Then, of course, one of the reasons that it's superb in finance and uh, it's a really an amazing program. So I strategized. It was a goal that I was so laser focused. I'm going to get that like I want air to breathe. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how I... there's a switch in my mind. When I want something and if it's hard, it becomes my goal and I am laser focused on it and it becomes the air that I need to breathe. So everything else, like all the hardship, I don't even feel the hardship, I am going there. I had to strategize. I met with so many people who graduated from there, both in Saudi, the men who graduated from, from there in Saudi and all of the alumni that I could reach out to. And also I spoke to the admissions and, you know, you just put a strategy and you follow it and you'll get there. And what's so interesting about that is
0: the network then you created. Oh, yeah. Were you quite an extrovert then in creating relationships or was that quite difficult for you?
1: Funny story about that. <laughs> so I... I have always been an introvert until I went to university and not Wharton. No, my undergrad. Mm. So I uh, but I was kind of like socially awkward because all I know is books. So uh, they were like a group of girls who did nothing but just socialize. And they were like they were socialized so effortlessly. And mm. I would always look at it, look at them. And I'm thinking, how can I be them? So I kind of like struck a deal. And I said, look. I'm going to teach you. I'll be your tutor. But in exchange, you teach me how you do this. The, wow. Because it's like, for them, it's like, this is their life. It's like having fun. And I had no idea. I had no, I had no idea how to socialize. <laughs> I so, love how
0: even having fun was a strategy for you. <laughs>
1: <exactly>. <laughs> like, but, but I nailed it. And it was just like a perfect trade. You know, they needed to succeed. They, their mothers loved me. Mm. because I got them to graduate in four years.
0: I can imagine. You were like the dream for yeah. any mom for yes. a, a, as their kid's friend. Exactly. And, and, you know, they say nowadays, you know, it's who you know and your network is your net worth. I mean, how important is that nowadays? Nowadays, we can click a button mm-hmm. on an app and we can be connected to someone on LinkedIn. We can DM someone mm-hmm. straight away. We have direct access to everyone that we aspire to be. hmm But back then, we didn't have that, right? How difficult was that for you to reach the people that you really wanted to connect with? And were you very persistent about that? Or was that something that you were like, oh, in the future, I'll join them?
1: You know, I never experienced any hardship in connecting with any of my mentors at all. I think also because there weren't many Saudi women who were working in mixed environments. So I was like one of the few. And I think that was attractive enough for them to give me attention. Mm. But Also, it was on me to keep them giving me more advice and keep them engaged. It wasn't really a challenge at all. And also, when I went to Wharton, I must say, I never had lunch alone. That was one of my strategies, one of my strategies. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I never had lunch alone. I would email someone and uh, we would have lunch and I will get to know them, where they are, what they're doing. I met so many people from so many industries. I got to know so many bright, amazing, inspiring stories that opened up my world after Mm. that and i still have i still keep in touch with them until now
0: yeah and that's the thing i think that it's amazing being a you know a very strong-minded tunnel vision individual but I think the true success is the people around you as well, you know, mm. that lift you up. And, and, you know, the story that you even shared that it was your friend that encouraged you to, you know, actually apply to one of the top universities. Yes. Now, to this day, how important is that for you? Is that something that you're very conscious about is keeping the right people around you?
1: You know, the saying that um, your wealth and wealth is not just money. Mm-hmm. Your wealth is the average of the five people that you surround yourself with and I live by that. I am very selective with the people around me but also I, I am very open to learning more. This curiosity that we were talking about earlier is uh, something that my success came out of this curiosity because you meet new people and you get inspired and sometimes when you are having a hard time and somebody comes uh, and shares the story, you'll know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, for example, starting your own business. It's so hard. When you share stories like you're sharing war stories, you feel like, okay, other people experienced the same. Other people got through them. How did they get through them? What can I be inspired by? And I apply it in my situation.
0: And when you came out of Wharton then, you graduated with an MBA.
1: W- what do you do next? Where do you go? So... Funny story. In Wharton, now, I went in a banker, and I wanted to continue banking. I actually um, got an internship in one of the top banks in the world in London. But because I wanted to experience myself, I wanted to understand more about myself, and I wanted to put myself in uncomfortable situations. So I was applying for leadership courses all the time. There was one course that is a leadership, it's called Leadership Venture in Antarctica. Wow, exactly. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to ride a bike, but I'm going to Antarctica. And they had this uh, system you have to bet like uh, you you have points and they're they're teaching you kind of like how to bet like as if it's the stock market. So I basically put all my points into Antarctica like I knew I it's like, again, the voice Mm -hmm. I'm going to Antarctica. So, um, yes, I I got it. I was so happy. But then I didn't know that there is so much preparation that you have to go through before you go to Antarctica. So they have to make sure that you're physically fit, that you're mentally fit. Um, We were training with the veterans for three months before we go to uh, to Antarctica. You have to carry a bag that is uh, uh, 25 kilos. It has all of your stuff because you don't have any civilization. Yes. Yeah. So you're carrying your tent, your food, your clothes for a week. Mm -hmm. And uh, literally the plane takes you, drops you there, the plane leaves, and then a week later comes back and gets you. The maximum medical support we have is that we have a doctor on site and we have a first aid kit. That's it. And that was my first entry to my passion into self-development and training and leadership training. And I remember I had hypothermia and uh, I was in the tent. I was like shivering. I was like, I was, it was excruciating pain. And I remember, okay, that's it. I'm de- not destined for this. <laughs> I pushed the envelope too much. <laughs> I'm saying my goodbyes in my own, on my own. Um, it was around like four in the morning. So we went to Antarctica in uh, December, which is summer there. So the sun goes down only for an hour. So four in the morning, it was like super sunny, but I was in so much pain and everybody else was sleeping. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to die. And my my breathing kind of like went slower and slower. And then there was this stinky smell that just came out of nowhere. And I'm like, is this the smell of death? Have I died already? And then it was a baby seal that was right next to me. And I could hear him breathe and I could smell his breath. And it was keeping me company until I had the strength to get out of the tent and defrost in front of the sun. And it was a moment I remember like yesterday, because I still remember how it was stingy. The the smell was stingy. But I was so grateful for him, this little baby seal. And I go back and I, I just reflect on how I was before this trip and how I became after that trip. Not just that it was hard, but it just you get to know so much about your personality. And there were so many other experiences that I went through in Wharton that I wanted to put myself into those situations because I wanted to get to know about myself and I wanted to push myself enough that a comfort zone is um, foreign to me. That if it comes, I know that I will recognize it immediately and I will run away and I will always keep being sharp.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I guess these personal experiences really prepared you to professionally be resilient. Yeah. How did it change then your your mind frame in terms of entrepreneurship? In terms of, I mean, this leadership program. Yeah. What what came out of this? What Shireen came out of this?
1: Oh, risk taking, like calculated risk taking, but also passionate about giving back. So, these two years. Uh, changed my life like I can't even begin to tell you how but then when I graduated I had so many offers to join banking and investment houses and and so on but I chose to uh, start a training company And I wanted to disrupt the training industry in the Middle East. And I wanted to bring those amazing trainings that change your life to the Middle East. So people don't need to go for two years out of their jobs in order for them to get this amazing experience. So I wanted to bring those experiences here. And um, I started my first training company which lasted like three months, Mm -hmm. I made lots of mistakes. And then I learned from them and I started my second training company and it was was going really well until I met, actually, I was an agent for a company called Belinka, which is a Belgian company that teaches finance through simulations. And I heard about them. So I got to know them. We became friends and then I became their agent in the Middle East. And, uh, and then uh, during COVID, they wanted to plan for retirement. It's a, it's a small company, but it's wonderful. And um, the owners uh, are very good friends of mine, and they wanted to plan for their retirement. So they invited a few people to bid to acquire the company, and I won the bid. I couldn't believe it. Wow. And uh, it, is, it just ties my two passions, learning and finance. Mm. And for these two, I would love for everybody to never be afraid of finance and to be financially independent, but have that logic embedded in their brain that they know how to make the right decisions. Mm.
0: And the thing is, you really are living out your purpose. You are serving such a wonderful community now, which is what you've created, essentially. How is that community for you right now? And how is it evolving as we go on?
1: I have so many experiences that women particularly feel so passionate about what we do because they come in, they're so scared. And then in one day, they revolutionize their business, and they have this amazing understanding. Like, if I tell you that in four hours, I will get you to know at, at a gut level, what is return on asset? What's return on equity? What is the cash flow? What's asset optimization? But not only that you know it consciously, you actually know how it feels when you look at a company and you say, this company is going to close next year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you have that built in, it's like this is purpose mm. this is like you know when I give people that tool you know for people to um, to feel independent and they can make really wise decisions and they don't push their decision making to their finance manager or accountant, that they have the full picture now and they can make their own decisions for me, that's just invaluable and I got to know so many amazing people, and I, um, I think i uh, I focused more on women. But now um, men were complaining, so now I want to focus on everybody. Mm. Everyone who wants to learn finance. I am here, I'm like not just I me, mean, not just me, but we are licensing Belinka in universities in accelerators. We're trying to get this tool to as many people as possible. Mm. So yeah. And it's a
0: tool and it's such a valuable one. I mean, essentially what you're doing is helping people, you're guiding their inner voice as well or helping them find their inner voice, something that you have so instinctively, which is beautiful. Now, I would love to hear your thoughts on where you think this region is going in terms of, you know, finance, education, the two that you have merged so beautifully together. How do we see it moving forward and growing as an industry and then also in service as well?
1: So this region has been transformed. The progression of this region in terms of entrepreneurship and everything else that is happening is just mind-blowing. You know, we already got into history just by the, the, the speed of getting things to happen. Five years ago, I was uh, uh, advising the Ministry of Economy on entrepreneurship and um, uh, VC because seven years ago, there was no ecosystem for VCs and uh, for entrepreneurship in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And when we were doing the projects, I was thinking, oh, this is so ambitious. Like, this is over ambitious. I don't think they will get there. And now I am in awe because in very short five years, you can open a business in one day. You can get funding, you can be accepted in accelerators. There's so much support for entrepreneurship that is beyond belief. Now, what's happening, like when you look at history and when you look at, for example, how Silicon Valley started, it all started with people, right? It started with people and the government was supporting them and then they built that ecosystem. But it took them years to build that ecosystem And not just Silicon Valley, US as an example, we always hear about the American dream. People go there and making it. I am actually seeing Saudi as now it's the the new American dream, it's the Saudi dream, because... Every now, every, almost every day, people ask me about Saudi and how they want to get into Saudi and how, like, Saudi is booming. It is booming. It's booming beyond belief. So I am very excited to witness this growth and uh, seeing such quick change. You know, like, if you want to get something done, you want to do it, you do it yourself, right? Because if you are in a big organization, it takes years for approvals, etc. But when you see a whole country moving at the speed of an entrepreneur, chapeau.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, something exciting is, is happening. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm so excited uh, for the kingdom in general for the region uh, to be moving at the pace in which you said and, you know, the next five years, I can only imagine what's going to happen. But for you, Shireen, mm. what is in your future? What is in the next five years? What are you looking forward to anything in particular that you can share with us?
1: Our target is we would like to reach five million people to use Belenka simulation by 2025, and we can only do that by having partnerships with, as I mentioned, universities and even other training companies. I would like to see those five million getting financially aware and having that DNA because that will make me feel like okay, this is uh, bigger than just me and. There is a movement that is happening i 'm very happy at the moment, but i'm just i 'm very happy to help people so i 'm part of u n women and they have a mentorship program to support female entrepreneurs in the region. I try to give back as much as possible because the people who helped me grow and, and get to where I am uh, were the main reason why i 'm here, but uh, now it 's my uh, it 's my role to give back. But I'm also thinking, okay, how can, I, how can I benefit millions of people? How can I uh, impact millions of people? And that's where I am. That's where my head is at. It's, mm. it's kind of clear, but I, um, I'm, this is my, my plan for the next. This is the laser focus. Mm-hmm. 5 million by 2025, and I don't know what's going to happen later.
0: Well, you know, if your journey is anything to go by, I have absolutely no doubt that you are going to (laughs) achieve everything that you so wish for. Uh, Shireen, I want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing uh, guidance, your journey, advice. It's been absolutely beautiful. Uh, Thank you once again. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.